I'm excited for this topic, discipleship. Uh, this is something that we're talking about constantly at Metro Life Church, and I think Ephesians, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes 4 has a contribution to make. So would you read this passage with me and then pray Ecclesiastes 4, 9, I want to read to 13. We're not going to really talk about verse 13, but I think you'll understand why. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. This morning's message is simply entitled The Discipleship Community. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Psalm 14 begins by saying, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Lord, last night we, most of us I trust, we fell asleep. And while we slept, you stayed awake. And the stars were held in place. The speed of the earth, the axis it's on, assured that yet again, we would spin our way around to sunrise while the Atlantic Ocean a few miles from here was kept in its place. Lord, I'm not sure how any could wake up and not greet the day with you. You're on the throne. Lord, even the unbeliever who's raging against even your existence in his heart this morning, his ability to rage the breath he's been given the mind he's been given is from you. And with that conviction, we come to your word, not to words, but to your word. The words of the great I am, written by men, but breathed out by you. And we pray that you would stir up in us by your spirit the humble desire to, as verse 13 speaks to, to take advice, your counsel, which in this passage is telling us simply, it's not a good idea to do life alone. We need one another. We need one another locally. And I, God, I thank you we have one another even, even, well, throughout the state. Metro truly feels a kinship with Palm Vista. And I thank you for that. We have one another, God. And so now would you illuminate your word to our hearts. Teach us. We ask you, give us the ears to hear your spirit today in Christ's name. And Lord, I do pray for Danny as he takes the pulpit at Metro. God, would you bless him? What a strange feeling it must be for him to preach his first sermon after his retirement announcement. But God bless him today. Bless him mightily, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom poetry of the Old Testament, along with the book of Job, Psalms, 
Proverbs and Song of Songs. Admittedly, some readers find Ecclesiastes to be a sobering, perhaps even depressing book. Ironically, though, my wife Melissa would tell you it's her favorite book of the Bible, and she's not a depressed person. I think this book, uh, unfortunately, it's got a bad reputation if that's someone's summation of it. There's far more to Ecclesiastes than sobering thoughts, or if you're old enough to remember a song made famous by the birds. No laughter tells me very few people know that song. (laughs) The book is contrasting those whose worldview is under the sun, just the earth, from those who understand there is a God in heaven who dwells in unapproachable light. He is the reason we're here. And he's got a plan, and it's a good one. But to go about living life without him is vanity. It's futile. But life lived with and for the one who dwells in the heavens changes our perspective, and it opens us up to what ultimately matters. And, and, and within Ecclesiastes, there's different pieces of wisdom that, that apply to specific areas of our life that, that brings the, the, the grandeur of God near, if you will. And one way the grandeur of God comes near is as we get to live life in community with fellow believers. So in Ecclesiastes 4, we have a contrast It's a contrast between living for oneself, solo, autonomous, and living with a God-centered, or contrasted with living with a God-centered perspective on relationships. So Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 8, uh, I did not read it, but to set up the context, uh, it's describing the person who lives life as only under the sun, the S-U-N sun, just living, waking up as if there's really no purpose, there's no one in control I'll just do whatever I'm going to do. And then verses 7 and 8 depict a person who works and works to hoard up money and has plenty of it, but is never satisfied. And because he's consumed with the pursuit of money, has not taken the time to invest in people at all. And here he is, rich, but alone and miserable. I believe it was Carnegie Mellon who was asked once, how many more dollars does it take to be happy? And he said, one more. And his point was that you never reach it. You never reach it. However, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, in keeping with a theme throughout Scripture, shows us that in order to flourish in life, real joy, real satisfaction is going to be lived in community. And not not just any community, but community with the people of God. And the writer urges the reader to live according to the pattern of God's ways, because ultimately, only God's ways will satisfy and bring eternal meaning. It's not enough just to have company. In other words, it's the right company. Michael Phelps, as he's training for his like 40th Olympics uh, coming up in Rio later this summer, uh, one of the questions asked him recently is, what have, you, what have you learned about you in the past few years? He said, I've learned it matters what company I keep. Ecclesiastes would offer to us, it matters what company we keep. So I want to summarize this this way this morning. There is great value in living life in community. It is foolish to go at it alone. It's foolish to go at it alone. Uh, Growing up in Pennsylvania, we would travel once a month to my grandparents, and we'd drive over a couple of mountains on the way there. And on one of them in particular, the the grade of the, the, the hill, the slope was pretty steep, and so there'd be these flashing lights 
to let you know uh, that a curve is coming and, and that you, you needed to be braking. And it actually had like a runoff area for uh, tractor trailers that might get going too quick. It, it was warning you that, that this is steep. You need to pay attention. I think in a way, for anybody living life alone, Ecclesiastes 4 is like that. It's flashing these lights. You don't, you don't want to live this way. This isn't going to end well. And so I want to offer from the passage two Godward perspectives on relationships that we get from Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. They're, they're self-explanatory. The first one's this. We're, we're not meant to be alone. We are not meant to be alone. He says in verse 9, looking back at our passage, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. <clears throat> now, I think it's important just to state the honest, hard truth right up front. I think one of the reasons living life alone is kind of appealing is because relationships are hard, right? All you got to do is be in one to know that. They're very hard. Everyone has a story or stories of disappointments, feeling forsaken, betrayed, unjustly accused, or, or you know, the friendship that just kind of slipped away. You know, you're not sure what happened to it. Relationships are hard. I said this yesterday in the parenting seminar. They're hard because people are involved. That's the number one problem with relationships and community. People. <clears throat> I'm not sure, but I think whoever said a dog is a man's best friend probably said that right after having a falling out with a human being. That's when they said that. This is my favorite dog quote. Outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. <laughs> we need people. We need people. People are hard. Relationships are hard. They take time. They take initiative. You know, and then there's the time and the initiative. It just, it, it, it calls you out of self. And we live in a culture that has turned privacy into like a form of worship where individuality and isolation is exalted as our highest good. But scripture does not join us in the exaltation of the individual. Just the opposite. In fact, Proverbs 18, 1 says it this way. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So to, to embrace this autonomous life, this idea that I've got it, you know, I'll call on you when I need something, but I'm going to make my decisions, I'm going to set my trajectory on my own. <clears throat> God's word says that's breaking out against all sound judgment. <clears throat> Excuse me. The teacher in Ecclesiastes is going to offer four reasons why being in relationship with others is vital. They're not exhaustive, but I, I think they're intended to do what verse 13 is talking about, to, to get us to take advice, the advice of Holy Scripture. So here's the first reason he offers. Our work is more rewarding when we work together for the good of others, not just our own good. Now, when this was written, agrarian or farm work would have been the most common form of work. And typically you would do that with others. A greater harvest would be accomplished by working together. As opposed to alone, the toil would take on greater meaning. The reward uh, would be a reward that could be shared with others. And he uses the word toil in verse 9. They have a good reward for their toil. Uh, that, that, that's, that was true in an agrarian culture. I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, so all around us were fields where these farmers would just faithfully, year after year, toil. 
in these fields. In other words, they were putting sweat equity into the fields. Well, guess what? Relationships require some sweat equity. Maybe not literal sweat. We do live in Florida, so it does include that. But that's not the point. Rather, there's initiative. There's work. There's pursuit. And there's a reward for that. He goes on, he says, two are better than one when you fall down. Now, again, when this was written, a lot of travel was on foot, often through mountainous terrain. It's inevitable at some point you're going to slip, you're going to stumble. And in that moment, how wonderful to have somebody to catch you before you fall. The spiritual correlation is clear. If it's helpful to have someone to catch you if you're going to physically fall down or trip or stumble, how much more crucial is it to have people in our life that can help us if we're on the brink of stumbling spiritually? If we're on the brink of filling the blank, making some sort of unwise decision. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Well, what... The author of Ecclesiastes is offering is when you have people in your life who know you, who walk with you, the likelihood of that fall is far, far less. I think the primary candidate for a spiritual fall is the person who doesn't think they're a primary candidate for a spiritual fall. It's that arrogant heart that's like, I can do this. I got this on my own. You know, when I hear, and really when I hear it in my own soul, more so than from anybody else, but when I hear a Christian speaking self-righteously about the fall of another Christian, I, I fear for that person. Oh, but for the grace of God, there we go, right? But usually there's a story there. Usually there's some kind of isolation. And you know, in the church, to bring this into the New Testament a bit, the church is the place where fallen people ought to be able to get picked up, not knocked down even further, not, not cast out. The church ought to be the place, Palm Vista, I know it's the heart of your pastors, and I presume the heart of all the members here. You want, you want this to be a place of restoration, not amputation. You want this to be a place where people get built up, recognizing we're all prone. We're all prone to wander. We're all prone to fall in some way at some point in our lives. It could be a small way where all we need is the gentle grasp of a friend. Or it could be a larger fall where we, we can't get up in our own strength and we're relying on others to do so. The author of Ecclesiastes is offering that, oh, how good it is to have someone, to have some ones in your life that are there who can lift you up. And I think by implication, it gets to the importance of investing time. With people, it takes time to build relationships, doesn't it? Like, so you've got in your lobby out there five or six pictures of different community groups meeting around. Well, that table with those pictures with a little bit of information by itself isn't going to do much. It's not going to get you to any of those meetings, is it? Like, you will have to do something with your schedule. You'll have to put gas in your car. You'll have to do all the things that are involved to actually go to one of those actual addresses, right? I I say it this way often at at home. uh, You know, I have a Bible. It's right here. 
But this has never happened to me. I have never woken up in the morning to discover my Bible hovering over my head, turning its pages, forcing my eyes into the passage. That's never happened. Once yet. It's <laughs> that happened. Like I have it, but I've, I've, I've got to do something, right? I've got to actually pick it up, open it up, and read what's the same with relationships. It's no different. And think about your best memory of a relationship, or one of your best. You know, that, that high school romance, that college romance, whatever it was, where no obstacle was too big. You remember that? You remember those feelings? I mean, it, it's hilarious, some of the stories I hear from young people, and I think, man, I'm, 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 I was fortunate. My, Melissa, my wife now, she only lived an hour and a half away. That helped. But it's crazy stories you'll hear, like, like uh, this guy, you know, okay, he lives in Orlando, and you're, you're, you're driving where? To New Orleans. Friday after work to have lunch in New Orleans, and you need to be back Sunday night to go to work. That's not that far. It's not that. What do you mean it's not that far? It's like 18 hours to New Orleans. It's really not that bad. You know, you know depending what time of day you leave, you know, you're like going with the wind. It's really not that bad. Because <laughs> like, he's in love. Because he's in love. It's not a big deal. He'll make whatever sacrifice has to be made to get there. It's easy to lose that though, isn't it? It's easy to lose that kind of vision and passion. Relationships, they require initiative on our part. He goes on, two are better than one when we encounter trials and the storms of life. Look at verse 11. He says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? You see what he's doing here? He's not really making a new point. He's just trying to make the case about the same point. Again, He's not saying something new. He's just trying to say it from a different angle. Two are better than one when we encounter trials and storms in this life. If two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? This was like vivid. Uh, I don't know what it is when we plan camping trips. We don't do these very often. But when we do, they seem to correspond with like the two cold nights of the year in Orlando. And it happened again uh, this year. We were out at this place called Moss Park over spring break, and we're there. And uh, my daughter, Anna, is next to me in the tent. She's seven, and it was, uh, it, it, I don't know, it got down to about 50 degrees. It wasn't like freezing, but, you know, when you've lived here long enough and your blood thins out, 50 is like zero. It's cold <laughs> out there. And, and so uh, somewhere in the night, like, it, it felt pretty warm, but then I, I rolled over, and in the act of rolling over, the, the sheet, the, the sleeping bag came up in this rush of cold air. I'm like grabbing my daughter, and I'm like, get over here. Two are better than one. You stay warm. And she was so warm, like, come here, come closer. Poor kid, I almost suffocated her. <clears throat> oh, but what if, what if you're walking through something in life? You go to make that grab, so to say. There's nobody there. There's no one there. We all have situations in our life, you might be in one right now, that leave us cold. Oh, in those times, how good to have a friend 
support, encouragement of others to warm us up, so to say. I don't mean you're physically going to literally grab them and hold them, though it might include that. But people in our life, here's what I'm learning about relationships. If I want someone to be there for me when I'm in the cold, I've got to be willing to be there for them when they're in the cold. Relationships have always been challenging. We know that. I think that may be why the teacher is actually extolling the value and reminding them of community because it's quite likely they, they themselves, all of them reading this, they, they had their days, they had their moments where relationships left them sour and they need reminded that though they're difficult, and they're difficult because of us, right? They're difficult because of our sin, our selfishness, our whatever, whatever. He's having to remind them, oh, don't give up on this. There's nothing new under the sun. Relationships took work when this was written, and relationships take work on May 1 of 2016. They've always taken work. Life knocks us down from time to time. Have we cultivated relationships that will be there for us? And you know, it's not always in the extreme, but I'm grateful for this. Just yesterday, I'm texting Harry Santa Maria. He's a dear friend. He's part of my community group back at Metro Life Church. Uh, it seems it's almost like Murphy's Law. If I leave the house, something breaks. Is that true in your house? So I'm not sure it was hyperbole or if Melissa was describing it accurately, but she's describing for me Friday night that all the water that's supposed to be in the washer is in the kitchen, that it's all flooded out into the kitchen. And here I am down here, and so, like, okay, okay. Well, I text Harry. Harry spent two hours. I'm not sure what my washer looks like right now, but he spent two hours in my house last night. He was out shopping when he got the text with his daughter. He's like, hey, I'll go over later. And I thank God for that. I thank God that I can be 200 miles from home, but there's a community right there for my wife. And he's like, hey, if she needs to bring the clothes to our house, please, we'll, we'll have her do that. So it's, it's, it's not always in, in, in major, massive things, but man, it's really great to have a friend you can call when you're out of town and the washer breaks down. But by grace, as much as I can, Harry knows I'm going to be there for him too. It's cultivating relationships. I wouldn't have even have felt like I could have texted him if there wasn't a relationship preceding that, right? But I knew that I could. And I knew that if it was within his grasp, he would get there. He would get to my house. The fourth thing he offers is two are better than one in a fight. Verse 12, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not... Easily broken. Now, I don't think he has in mind street fights. So the encouragement here isn't, hey, later on, go out and get in a brawl, you know, but make sure you have a friend. That's not what he's saying. Again, they used to travel on these roads that didn't only have divots in them and rocks, but sometimes robbers. And the idea was, you don't want to be traveling those roads by yourself. If, if somebody's going to come out from behind one of those rocks and and want to rob you or whatever, it's good in that moment to have a friend. Just a, a funny, almost had a fight 
memory. Uh, and, and, and we actually went to Ecclesiastes later. I was in New York City in Brooklyn uh, walking with two friends. And uh, we're walking, and uh, this guy's coming the other direction, and he bumps shoulders with uh, one of my friends. And uh, I, I got to tell you, you know, kudos to this the, the guy who was walking because he was he was a little tall, but he was very thin, and and my friend is very muscular. But but the thin man starts looking at the muscular man. And he's like, "You bad, you bad, right?" And he's just cursing up a storm and everything. And this is all like like whoa, this is getting a little. And he, my friend's trying to, dude, it's okay, just bumped your shoulder, uh, you know, no problem. But this this guy didn't want to back down, so I'm standing there next to my friend, but our other friend who remained nameless, Dave, actually starts, he literally starts slowly backing away from the situation. Like, where are you going? He's the one guy with steel toe boots in our threesome here, and he's backing away from the situation. Like, where where were you thinking of going? Like, come on, Ecclesiastes, pal. We almost had a fight there. We needed you. I don't find myself in street fights. But I do find spiritual warfare. I do find there's all kind of things that want to fight for supremacy in my soul. I don't want to fight that fight alone. I go further than that. I can't fight that fight alone. I'm 43 and I'm not ashamed to tell you that. I can't fight the fight of faith alone. I don't want to fight it alone. I'm glad to have people in my life that I can rely on to stand with me in this fight. Now, right now, practically, that looks like this, our community group. Uh, If it's not me, it's another guy. But just about every morning of the week, somebody's sending a scripture. This is what I read this morning. Hope this encourages you guys. It just just kind of fires you up, right? Like, ah, that's right. Ah, I'm feeling lazy. I'm feeling tired this morning. I'm not sure I want to get up and get in the Word. My brother's out there doing it too. I'm getting up too because maybe I'm going to read something that I can text over to him that's going to encourage him where he's at today. We're in this thing together. But this, this came crashing in in a powerful way for me a couple summers back. Uh, it was actually with Danny. I mentioned him earlier and another elder in our church, Mike. Uh, I didn't know any of this was going on. But I walk in on a Sunday morning and Danny says to me, is it well with your soul? That's not a normal question he asked me, not in that way. So it was kind of weird. Uh, like, I think so. But if you're asking, perhaps you're about to tell me something that's going to change that. So why do you ask? He says, well, I'm just wondering in light of the phone call, how you're doing, like what phone call? And then it clicks for him that I don't know what he's talking about. And what he was talking about is... Uh, Somebody, a mutual friend, wanted to have a conversation with Danny and Mike about me, but they didn't want me in the conversation. And as this per- as Danny's like, well, what do you want to talk about? That you don't want to have Aaron in the conversation. As this friend begins to tell Danny what he wants to talk about, Danny realizes, friend, I don't know where you got your information or your story, but you've got Aaron completely wrong. And if you feel like you want to have that conversation with us, you're welcome to. But Aaron's going to be in that conversation too. And then the friend didn't want to have that conversation. I didn't know any of that happened, but I'm sitting there affected like, so So you guys had my back the whole time. I mean, praise God, we have people like that in our life. Like, wait a minute. I, I'm going to be there for my brother in this moment. 
Now, it wasn't a fight, and I don't mean to imply that, but, but, but even in the misunderstanding, two are better than one in a misunderstanding. And I thank God for that. So much of the spiritual victories in our lives, I believe, requires, I don't think it's too strong to state it that way, it requires that we are in relationship with other people, that we're getting encouraged by them, we're encouraging them, we're getting discipled, we're discipling, we're getting spurred on, we're getting confronted where needed, etc., etc., There are some battles, some enemies, some attitudes, some stubborn patterns, some problems, some things in our life where we're aware, I don't have the strength to do this by myself. And I need somebody else to be in it with me. Finally, verse 12. He gives another reason for these relationships. He says, a threefold cord is better than one or two. A threefold cord is not better easily broken. The teacher is conveying a principle here, and it's found throughout Scripture, and it's simply this. There's strength in numbers. And I I think the absence of specific examples here is actually helpful because it, it, I think it gets at the different forms a threefold cord can take. It'll look different at different times and different situations in our life, but let's put that in a question. What does a threefold cord look like at Palm Vista? What does it look like in the local church. You know, we're called to be disciples. We're also called to make disciples. I think that presupposes relationships, which is what the teacher's extolling. Well, I want to offer to you a threefold cord of discipleship as we move to a close for your life in Palm Vista, for my life at Metro Life Church. I didn't come up with these, but I found them helpful. Threefold cord, how about a crowd, a core, and a cell? A crowd, a core and a cell. What do I mean? Well, crowd is what we're doing right now. The crowd is the Lord's day gathered together, God's people coming together, the church together. We, we come to worship God together. We come to be ministered to and minister to others through the use of our gifts, right? I mean, how many of you have children over in children's ministry right now? So others are serving you right now so that you can be served and probably you take your turns too, right? Other months, you might be the one back there and they might be in here. And so when the crowd comes together, there's a service that takes place using our gifts that takes place so that the body is being built up and edified together. And I, I don't want to press the point too far, but I believe it was said in the opening prayer. I'm not sure it's God's intention that I do my Christian life in autonomy and I kind of take this posture. You know, I could go and meet with a local church or I could just download whatever sermon flavor I'm interested in and just do it that way. Can I benefit from that? Absolutely. That, that, that can be a great means of edification. But I don't think that's the same thing as being together live with the people of God in a local church. Yes, I'm a part of the universal church, but, but, but the universal church doesn't know me. One church knows me. And even in that one church, the whole church doesn't know me. A smaller group within that church knows me. I, I, I believe God reserves something for our corporate gatherings when the crowd, the church comes together that we don't experience in isolation. One gentleman, he said it this way. 
Actually, it was titled this. This, this was last year's. It's one incredibly disturbing church trend for 2015. This is what he says. What is this one trend? It's that your most committed people will attend worship services less frequently than ever. What does this mean? Simply that people who used to attend four times a month may only attend three times a month. Members who used to come twice a month will come once a month. There are several reasons why people attend church less frequently, but the first and most obvious one is waning commitment. People attend less when spiritual priorities are less important. I think he's right. It's sobering. It's like, wow, that stings a little bit, but I I think he's right. The point isn't getting people to come to church a lot. The point is to get people following Jesus. But one way they do that is in relationship with one another, where they don't give up meeting together, as is the habit of some. I don't think the first question you or I are going to be asked in heaven is, hey, how many Sundays were you in church? I I don't think that's going to be the question. I'm not sure there'll be a question at all. I suspect we're just going to fall down and worship and be undone and all of that. I I think we'll be silent for a long time, however time is measured in eternity. But if a question comes along the way or a thought comes along the way, maybe it'll get something more like this. Did I live devoted? Devoted to God's people, to God's house. And, and, And while I was on the earth, I was finite. I was in one place. Did I devote myself to a particular group of people? That's what the author of Hebrews is urging. That they don't give up meeting together. And so, yeah, I know maybe this is easy to say because I'm a pastor, so I sort of have to be there on Sundays. Hey, Alan, Corey, thanks for showing up again. Appreciate it. Way to go. I would hope I wouldn't be approaching Sundays any different if I start working for the city of Castlebury collecting trash. My point being, I don't become less needy of the gathered church based on my vocation. No, I need God's people. I need them. I don't want to get to that place where out of 168 hours in a week, the idea of 90 minutes to two hours on Sunday morning becomes ah, too much. It's too much. Because to do so is to do so to my own peril. We need the crowd. We need to be gathered together. But you can get lost in a crowd, right? This is a crowd, a crowd that you don't need 500 or 1,000 for a crowd. We need more than that. We need a cell or, or maybe a, a community group, as we call them. I believe you call them as well. Jesus modeled it. He taught the crowds. He was among the crowds, but he would pull away and get time with the 12. In fact, I think we see him with the 12 even more than with the crowds in Scripture. Whether you call it small group, cell group, home group, community group, group group, whatever you call your group, doesn't really matter as much as you have one, that you're a part of one, where, where we can break things down more intimately, where friendships can be formed, where more personal expressions of care can take place. In the early church, they gathered the first day of the week, but they gathered house to house throughout the week, and that's where we get that model. But even that, that's two strands of a three-strand cord. Even that, it, 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 
it requires sometimes something a little more intimate. And that's what I'm calling the core. Jesus had the 12. He had his, Jesus had his community group. But within that community group, he had, he had a smaller band of brothers, if you will. He had three in particular he spent more time with. I think we all need a few people in our lives who know us intimately. For instance, if I'm in a community group that's got 20 people in it, I'm probably not going to be known very well unless I actually take time to get a little closer with some of them. So a question we ask ourselves regularly is, who knows me? Who knows how to pray for me, encourage me, exhort me? Who, who's, who's got the inside track, so to say, on my life? Who are you going to call if your washer breaks and you're out of town? Who gets that phone call? Who knows they can call you? Forget washers. What if it's three in the morning and you're in a crisis? Who do you know you can wake up? And they're going to be there for you, if at all possible. There's great value in living life in community. It's foolish to go at it alone. So what does this look like for you? I can't fully answer that, but I want to make a suggestion from Charles Bridges in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. Oh, let us ponder well the deep responsibility of our social obligations. Are we discharging them as unto the Lord for the honor of his name and for the edifying and increase of his church? Did we but pray for each other as we ought? What a brotherhood would the family of man be? The time is short. Opportunities are passing away. Happy those who've been fellow helpers upon the earth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know I haven't said anything new this morning, but I do pray by way of reminder your Holy Spirit would stir us up. And Lord, specifically, as your word meets us in real time, if there are any who are living an isolated life, it doesn't mean they don't get with people, but isolated in that no one really knows what's going on. Lord, I pray you'd call them out of that and into community with one another. Lord, if, if there's anyone for whom the lights are blinking, that they're in danger of going into isolation, Lord, I would pray as well. You would speak to them. And Lord, also in, in the spirit of what Michael Phelps said earlier this week, maybe we're in community, but Lord, perhaps you're showing some of us that some people in our community or, or something of that nature, that, that we may not be with the right people. Are they influencing us unto godliness or pulling us in a different direction? So Holy Spirit, speak as only you can to each of us. Thank you, through Jesus, for bringing us into the community of the kingdom of heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen.